Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton talks with Jason Little, an author, international speaker, and change consultant. Jason travels the world helping companies discover more effective practices for managing organizational change. And now, here is Teresa Moulton and Jason Little. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. Today we have a guest that we're really excited to talk about, Jason Little. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about him. Jason began his career as a web developer when Cold Fusion roamed the earth. Over the following years, he moved into management, agile coaching, and consulting. The bumps and bruises collected along the way brought him to the realization that helping organizations adopt agile practices was less about the practices and all about the change. In 2008, he attended an experiential learning conference about how people experience change, and since then, he's been writing and speaking all over the world about helping organizations discover more effective practices for managing organizational change. Jason is the author of Lean Change Management and Agile Transformation. He is passionate about the people side of change who, and someone who believes the best way to improve organizations is to focus on behaviors and relationships built on trust. Jason is a lean startup fanatic, author, and international speaker, and his, his desire is to change the world one person at a time. So, Jason, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're really excited that you're here. And um, one of the key questions that we like to ask everybody about how they got into the field um, is teed up first. So how did you get started in uh, change work? So uh, I originally started in, in IT, like you mentioned, and doing uh, desktop and server support and then fell into the programming world. And uh, my first official programming job was actually in a marketing department, which I think was uh, a good way to shape my approach to actually building stuff because we were always focused on the customer. So it sort of naturally started out um, not worrying about the language and the tools and the processes and things like this, but more about what problem am I trying to solve for a customer. And that um, uh, after my development career, I got into project management and then into management and that naturally led to helping organizations with Agile because I had found out once I discovered Agile was a thing that it was just the way that I had always kind of worked in organizations anyway. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a natural, natural fit. And uh, the, the conversation I had with a, a senior manager and a director of the PMO around um, an Agile project in a, in a large enterprise I was working for, they brought me into their office and said, well, you know, this project's really important, and we don't want Agile to get in the way. And, you know, at the time, I had nothing but the four values and the 12 principles. That was the Agile manifesto. So I kind of responded with, well, which of the four values should I break then? Mm-hmm. And then that was the trigger to realize that, oh, okay, what they're really saying is that when the project goes to hell, they're the ones who get yelled at because there's this other big part <laughs> of the organization that Agile doesn't even touch. And way back then, no one was talking about the organizational change aspect of Agile. And it sort of whacked me in the head with a frying pan. And I thought, oh, there's got to be something else going on here that I need to learn about. So that uh, that got me started down the path. That's great. That's a great story. And uh, from there, where do you look for inspiration in this work? 
Lately, I have been looking more outside of, I guess, the IT and business world for sure, and more about the social aspect of how how we work as humans on the planet. So it's mm. we often get so tied up in our, our tools and our models and our, our best practices and our methods that we forget that through the... Um, through our human history, the way we make progress as a society is through conversations and agreements. And if mm-hmm. we can strip away all the noise about how, you know, forget about using a method on people and, and, and using a tool and practices, um, mm-hmm. let's, let's get back to conversations. Let's get back to realizing that if you don't like something about how your town works, what do you do? You go to City Hall and you start to lobby against it and you mm-hmm. create a movement. So you find other people who are passionate about this and you enlist them as being part of your quote-unquote social change team. And that's the way it happens in our organizations, whether we think our methods and tools and and, and project schedules work or not. That's the way it goes. So as Mm -hmm. as someone is trying to introduce Agile into an organization, there's another movement in the organization that doesn't like it and is trying to kill it off. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's, there's these social dynamics that come into play and that's how we, we change. So I look for more inspiration around, um, you know, how, how do you know that uh, change readiness assessments aren't a new idea? They've been around forever. The Agile mm-hmm. community doesn't, doesn't tend to use them very much. Um, but you kind of know going in, just looking at the social dynamics of the organization, how difficult it's going to be to get this change to work. So mm-hmm. looking at the work of uh, Herbert Bloomer, who... Um, uh, created a um, social movement theory about the, the stages of how movements happen. Um, mm-hmm. That has been my world, I guess, the more the, the year, year and a half or so I've been looking at that. Mm. Have you um, met Luke Gallatin? Yes. Yes. I just had an interesting conversation with him uh, last week about uh, – societal architecture and change. And um, it seems like you two are, are uh, aligned in different levels of depth and breadth, but on this topic. Yeah, he picked me up at the airport once, and uh, <laughs> I went over to his house, and, and uh, yeah, he made me some nice coffee, and we had a few good chats. This is going back a few years, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 That's great, because I know he spoke at ACMP Global, uh, I believe it was last year, on um, the societal architecture. And, um, I, just, I just think it's an interesting perspective uh, in terms of looking at an organization, and I'm not sure everybody takes that perspective on and really, you know, looks at the fact that there's different dynamics happening in different parts of the organization that could cancel your workout. So, um that makes a lot of sense. And what do you do in your uh, work to kind of offset this dynamic that's countering what you're trying to get done? Some of the times it is using um, an agile-like process as an advantage. So mm-hmm. in organizations that are more hierarchical and structural by nature, so they value more control, they, they value process, they value, um, you know, they're, they're a little more rigid. If you can explain to them how, how an agile process works, all of the practices are engineered in a way to get people in a room to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, communication is a, is a, 
um, a good example. So we often think that we need to communicate the same thing to people about the change 13 times or 14 times or whatever it is before they'll really understand it. The difference with this type of approach is, well, that's not how the process works. So we don't create a communications plan and push it out. We actually use, uh, we move towards dialogue over communication. So we use a process called Lean Coffee to get people in the room, and then that's how we do our change readiness assessments, and that's how we do our interviews with stakeholders and things. But us as the change people, we facilitate that conversation. We don't mm-hmm. control and create the plan and try to push the communication out. So it's, it's, a, it's a shift in stance. Um, mm-hmm. we're not, we don't come in. Well, I don't come in with a project manager mindset, which is I'm going to create your plan and I'm going to create communications and I'm going to do the interviews and collect this mm-hmm. and, and fill out these reports. Mm-hmm. we need to get all the people who are impacted by this in a room, and I don't care if it's 10 or 300, uh, there's ways to do large-scale facilitation. That's mm-hmm. where we need to start. So here's how those processes work in an Agile context. And that is more often than not a good bridge to get people to um, see how their organization is now and how they're going to get to that, that future mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. And how do you... Um work with an executive who's used to having a traditional messaging plan uh, when you're doing the Agile dialogues? Part of it is um, understanding which battle to fight. So some might be more risk-adverse, more conservative, Mm -hmm. and creating that plan that we know is not really going to be the best use of time um, might be something that we need to do to satisfy their need for certainty. Mm-hmm. So that, but it's more around, okay, well, what, what unmet need exists for you? What are you not seeing that is going to help you uh, understand that we're headed down the right path, even though we know there's going to be some cliffs and some potholes and things like this that we're going to need to deal with? What is it that you need? And here's how it would look in a, a more lean and agile type of world. Mm-hmm. Does this, is this good enough for you? Mm-hmm. That's great. And I was curious also when you talked about large-scale facilitation techniques, uh, what are some of the examples of that that seem to work best for the Agile process? Agile retrospectives are quite helpful uh, to, to, to use for change interventions. So I worked, uh, um, I ran a session for 250 people um, in a leadership development program where mm. they're organizational development team wanted to figure out how can we improve this program. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, you know, they invited me down to do a a talk on the book and then, um, well, let's try an idea out from the book. And one of them was let's get people at tables and let's get them to do a retrospective at their tables and then go through their conversations but filter the, the, you know, the top three most important things for them at their tables. Because in a typical retrospective, you, you know, you'd ask people what worked well for us over the last two weeks of our, of our, our sprint or mm-hmm. our iteration. And then they just they brain write sticky notes. So you could end up with 50 or 100 sticky notes. But in this context, if we've got 250 people and each table of eight is coming up with 50, we're going to have too much data to handle. So get them to pre-filter and, and sort at their table, then we had them bring it up to a centralized wall. And when I had the, the first team came up to put their stickies up there, uh, they just organized them in a haphazard way. Then the second team came up and I said, if you see things that are similar, group them together or deduplicate them. And then they 
gave that policy to the next team. So it was almost mm-hmm. it created this social norm, and, they, nice. and it almost ran it. It almost ran itself. That yeah. it takes more. It takes more planning. People often get uh, um, overwhelmed with you know agile at scale and this that scale and everything at scale, and there is no magic to it. It just takes a little longer to plan because you've got more coordination points. But it's the same underlying principles. And um, when you can get those folks all in a room together and understanding the different perspectives from other people, mm-hmm. that's where the, the, the meaningful conversations happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always amazing to me how you have, you know, your planned um, guidelines for a large, a large-scale facilitation, and then at some point it just tips, and, like, the people know what they're going to do, and they're just doing it. <laughs> And it's like yeah. everyone has the same, you know, goal in mind, and all of a sudden everything kind of appears. So mm-hmm. that's, that's great. Um, you know, one question I had um, related to this is how do you do Agile? Do you have any best practices for doing Agile virtually with virtual teams? Yes. Um, the uh, the Agile community doesn't like the best practice word because they're – they, what they what they'll say is uh, well if, if you already have the best practice how can you improve and agile is all about like continually that. improving so I we like reframe that. it at, we reframe it as good practices okay good and, practices <laughs> yeah it's a it's it's a subtle shift and a lot of people you know when when they say they want best practices they know what they're asking for but the word just seems to set this bad trigger off for some some agile folks it's kind of fun to watch sometimes. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, in the virtual sense, I mean, tools are not the, the problem anymore. It's with, with any virtual working, we're after the mental connection, not so much the physical one. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, wrote a book called uh, Collaboration Superpowers, and that's all she does is help people work from anywhere with anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, with anyone from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So thing, things like... Um, if you've seen those iPads on a stick, the the, the collaboration robots. Yeah. Um, I I attended a conference virtually once. So you rent this robot and you actually control it and you walk through an office or you walk through the conference and it's like you're there but you're on the other side of the planet. So That's I think, wild. Uh, yeah, technology has made it a lot easier and a lot of these tools they're free. Um, there's, you know, Zoom being one of my favorite video conferencing tools that does recording and has breakout rooms. Um, and if you compare it to some of the enterprise tools, it's substantially better because it's easier to use, but it allows you to, to, to more easily create that, that mental connection so the, the physical distance isn't so much of a problem. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, Jason, with all of the interest in Agile lately, what do you see happening in the industry? Um, there's, it's interesting to see how the different communities seem to be converging on the same place, but they're coming from different perspectives and backgrounds. So the, the Agile community over the last few years has been starting to poke into the, the, the change management world and the organizational development world. So when they, they get introduced to Cotter's Eight Steps, it's like, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. And then on the change side, people are like, does anyone still use that anymore? I mean, that was from the mid-90s, and it's, it's a good foundational <laughs> thing. But we've kind of moved on, and we've, we're starting to look at these other things. Um, and some of those other things are agile. So then on the other side of the fence, you get the agile people going, oh, well, 
it's been agile's been around for 16 years now it's old it's old hat why are you looking at this but they all want the same thing and and, and these communities are all looking for how do we um, approach uh, facilitating change in a more effective way so things are different now like you know when the when the eight steps when Cotter's eight steps came out the world was a completely different time um, right. And it wasn't intended as being eight steps, and he actually says that. But I think people don't look past the surface, and they see those eight steps and go, well, number one, create urgency. Well, we've created urgency, check, let's move on to number two. Mm-hmm. But it's urgency is perpetual. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, the industry is becoming more open to blending ideas from different communities mm-hmm. um, versus – and it's, it's always different. I mean, there's, there's agile – processes and certifications that are thou shalt follow these rules the same way it is in the, the change management world. Um, so that stuff's always going to exist. But I think there's a little more acceptance of pulling ideas from different communities and not and building custom uh, approaches within organizations as opposed to buying a method off the shelf is one thing I see. Um, the, the, the Agile community is is creating some of the professional associations are creating more standards and certifications and as far as bringing in ideas from leadership practices that are decades old and uh, change and, and OD and things like this. And I think the same thing is going to happen in the change world. There's going to be tons of certified agile change manager um, credentials that are going to start to be created this year, I think. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't. I don't really care either way. But I think the the point is that instead of just being insular and looking at our own practices and our own discipline, we're going to start to expand and blend more ideas from uh, from different mm-hmm. communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, the world is so um, disrupted now. You know, there's just mm-hmm. nothing that is kind of setting patterns. It's harder to find patterns, so you almost need to you know, create the best solution when you hit the situation. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, and in terms of disruption, you know, what are you seeing happening with um, agile work and the way it's actually interrelating to uh, problems with business disruption? I think at first organizations will look at agile as a, um, a good quick fix because it has crossed the chasm. So we're, I guess we're in the, what you would call the late majority stage for, for organizations looking at Agile. Um, uh, they might underestimate that it's, it's a fairly large structural change to actually make it work. And the market I see that organizations are in is really dictating the level of, of innovation they need to get to. So, if you look at banking in Canada, for example, there's real, there's the big five, and they don't really need to innovate the way we would we would think. They uh-huh. need to keep keep that agalopoly in place. Uh-huh. So they tend to they tend to follow each other around and do the same thing. So yeah, their world is being disrupted, and you know some people think that 50 years from now there there won't be any consumer banking services. The fintechs will have eaten that up. But they actually, the, the big five here work with a lot of fintechs and, and a lot of startups on creating some of those services in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I think um, all industries 
will be impacted by some level of disruption, but the market is really going to dictate how much they need to innovate. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And Jason, you know, one other um one other exciting development that I wanted to ask you about is your upcoming Global Lean Change Agent Network. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so this was something that uh, when the, the book was originally written, um, we had tried an experiment of doing uh, workshops. So we'd, we'd used um, Indiegogo to, to fund the book campaign. So it's very similar to Kickstarter, which is for you know, level one, you get a book. Level two, you get a book with an autograph. Level three, whatever. And one of the levels was you get uh, to, to host the first workshop based on the book. And there was no workshop. There was nothing at the time. It was, well, let's just try this experiment and see what happens. And the workshops just took off. So there's been, over the last couple of years, there's been well over 1,000 people in 12 countries um, who've gone through the workshop. There's 26 facilitators now who are delivering these worldwide. And throughout those two years, um, the, the workshop, it's all experiential. So people aren't just read PowerPoints and learning theory. They're, they bring in real problems and they work on it because that's mm-hmm. how I learned change. Mm-hmm. I, I learned through experiential learning, so that's how I designed the courses. And... Um, I found that people wanted to stay connected to either their their class or people who have gone through it before. So mm. through uh, through Happy Melly, which is a global network of businesses that I'm part of, uh, um, we have private Slack channels. So anybody who's gone through a workshop gets access to a private channel where they can hang out with people from other workshops, um, people all over the world, and help get their help get uh, um, their changes unstuck. So this global network was the one thing I didn't like about any of the professional associations I belong to in my career is they're, they're pretty insular in nature. That is, they they tend to just reinforce your beliefs and they've become more of a coping mechanism. Mm. So I can go to, to this Agile group and I can get other people who think like me to tell me I'm not crazy, that the organization I'm working with, they're the ones that don't get it. Um, but, you know, you're sane because we, we all like the same sets of ideas and have the same uh, belief system. So I wanted to do something with this network that was uh, bring your problem here and the sandbox is the planet and get help with getting a problem solved. So almost uh, networked group consulting, if you will. Um, yeah, and and uh, the other benefit is that uh, the people who belong to the network so far come from a diverse set of backgrounds. So it's not just change managers. It's not just agile coaches. It's uh, agile coaches, change managers, organizational development people, HR people, developers, managers, executives. There's there's such a broad mix of skills and experience. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, because it's global you're not limited to, you know, Toronto's a fairly, where I'm from, is a fairly conservative city. Mm-hmm. So you go to the meetups here and they're very conservative and dry um, for the most part. But you go to another country and it's a completely different experience. So sometimes we don't really need to bring in some high-priced consultants to make a change work. We might need a half-an-hour conversation with somebody on the other side of the planet who triggers an idea that can help us get unstuck. So the idea was uh, something that's a little more uh, 
uh, I hate using the word organic, but I can't think of a better one. Um, <laughs> just something that allows people to connect together. So almost like you know a global dating service of change practitioners, if you will. That's an interesting concept, Jason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how is it how is it working? What kind of feedback do you get? What kind of experiences are people having? So we've done one in-person meetup, and I'm just logistically planning the next uh, global one. So we mm-hmm. would do something that's virtual. Um, and what people like is being able to connect with people who are in different industries with different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so they're getting a, a totally different perspective on the problem. So, you know, folks that are coming from the Agile side have the values and principles and the Agile mindset, and they might be missing, you know, a key model that can help them explain something. And so if, if I have some, some folks who are professional coaches and they bring in some elements of you know, David Rock's scarf model or BJ, Hogg's, BJ Fogg's behavior model, um, it's a little trigger to help, help them get unstuck, and then they'll go learn about that and figure out how they can use it in their organizations. Uh, so the, the value is not just hearing the same message about the same method and the same ideas over and over again. They get exposed to different different ideas and practices. Right, because they're, pro- they're solving different problems. Yeah, and stories too. Just yeah. the, the sharing of stories is so powerful. So any of these conversations, whether it be in our Slack channel or, uh, or in any of the meetups, it, it's always, well, I had a similar problem in this organization and here's what happened. So they tell, right. we tell stories to help people get unstuck and realize that, uh, you know, the methods are only going to take you so far, and it's good to know those things. When you really want to get into deep change, it, it needs to be more about the conversation and, and the stories and the, and the deeper connections. Right. Fascinating. Well, it sounds like quite the movement that you've got going there, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, how it's going when we check in a little bit later on, you know, in this year, uh, hopefully. But, you know, we're getting close to um, our time commitment here, but I had one more question for you, um, and that is if you could give a newcomer to the change management profession uh, one piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I would say uh, work for as many different organizations as you can in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, short contracts, because I find the, the experience is what helps the most. I mean, people who are new, they, they tend to go down the same road as they'll, they'll Google something, they'll Google, uh, you know, show me this certification, they'll go get certified, they'll practice it out. Um, but if they get stuck in that one method, then they're going to wake up 20 years later going, wow, I missed all this other stuff. So, Get as diverse um, as you can with anything that you learn, so certified or not certified, and work for different organizations in different sectors early on in your career. So you get exposed to different types of changes and different organizational cultures because uh, I find that that helps with perspective. So, you know, you can't apply the same model in 10 different organizations and get the same result. As much as our brains want that standardization, um, the, I use so many stories from, 
every industry that I've, that I've worked in, and that seems to resonate more with people. So focus more on those conversations and diversity as opposed to just uh, the method and the tools. That is a great piece of advice. That really is. Uh, well done. Well done. I, I think if someone had said that to me, you know, 20 years ago, um, I might have done things a bit differently. Uh, but it's definitely... I made, this, I, <laughs> Go ahead. I, made this, I made I made the same mistake, too. So when when I first got involved in Agile, back when I got involved, there wasn't, you know, you could go on YouTube now and watch a 10-minute video and you'll get just as much knowledge as you will in a two-day course. I know. Um, <laughs> but that didn't exist back then. So I went and did I went and did my my two day certification and then I got stuck in that method for for probably two or three years until I hit that conversation I mentioned at the opening which was you know um, we don't want agile to get in the way and I went oh but my agile is these three things and then I realized that there's a million other things out there so um, yeah I think we naturally will fall into that trap but try to get different experiences for sure. <laughs> That's well said. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you joining us, you know, in this show. Um, there's, you've really offered a lot of individual thinking and um, experience and perspective and, you know, just so appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed okay. it. Okay, our pleasure. We'll hopefully have you back later this year, Jason. Thanks so much. Sounds, sounds good. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and Jason Little. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.